Well, good morning again, and I ask you to turn your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 5. <clears throat> Before I pray and we read the text together, let me just make a couple of announcements to you from your bulletin. A couple of extra things in your bulletin this morning. <clears throat> One, um, here's the words intersection up on top there. That's a guide for our meeting after service, right after service, 11.30, well, whenever we finish, right after, we'll just have a meeting uh, together here. You're welcome to stay, if even if you're not a member. This is a mandatory meeting for all members, <laughs> if you're able to meet. Um, and uh, <clears throat> we're just going to talk about our uh, support of the, the Urs family in, in the Philippines. Some exciting things to share with you regarding those things. And so that's one thing I wanted to mention to you. Also, there is a Potluck and Hymn Sing uh, flyer in there. Take a look at that. Um, that's next Sunday, the 30th. We're planning to have a, a Potluck and a Hymn Sing. And uh, just some encouragement and some instruction regarding that as well. So please do take a look at that. Also, on the back of your bulletin in the announcements section, you'll see that uh, we're going to be having a membership class very soon. If you'd like to be a part of that and you haven't gotten to do that yet, you're welcome to, to do that as well. And also, we're going to be, Lord willing, having some baptisms soon. So if you have not yet confessed your faith in Christ publicly as the Word commands you to, uh, let me know. And we would love to have you participate in that, in that Sunday as the Lord allows. So just wanted to make you aware of those things. Also then finally... <clears throat> um, I still haven't gotten too many more spiritual gift checklists. I'm going to keep reminding you if that's okay. Please do that if you would and, and uh, fill that out. And All right, I see one up in the air. That's great. Um, if you haven't done that yet, please fill that out and drop it in the, sh in the, in the box for that purpose. And uh, that will be a blessing to me um, as I prepare for a class in that, in that, in that theme. Well, this morning we're going to continue in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I anticipate this will be our last time looking at these set of verses, 3 through 16, uh, and certainly we'll be thinking about how to apply these things as we go along this year. But uh, if you would stand with me one more time, and let's read this text together in unison, and then we will study the last few verses together. 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16. Honor widows who are truly widows, <clears throat> but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. <clears throat> Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than sixty years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for then their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we are unworthy to have your word. We are unworthy to hear 
your voice, but we are so grateful for the work of Christ in our lives that has made us righteous, has forgiven us our sin, has made us your children. We're so thankful. And we can hear your word and be changed by it through your grace. Father, we know that your word, this book, this Bible, is the inspired, authoritative Word of God. There's not one untrue word in your inspired truth. And so we submit ourselves to it. We ask that you would give us understanding. Thank you that it is as applicable today as it was when the Apostle Paul wrote it. We pray that you would help us to understand how we may be faithful to this text as a local body and as individuals as part of local body. We pray that you would give us insight and may we, may we have the attitude of, of submission even as we fear you. For you are a great, holy, loving, gracious, and merciful God. We thank you. We pray in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Please be seated. The main theme, as you know, of the letter of 1 Timothy is that we as a church would know how to behave ourselves in the household of God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. And one of the aspects of behaving ourselves as God would have us to as part of His family is how we treat widows. And that's what Paul's been talking about in verses 3-16 through of 1 Timothy 5. And so we've looked so far in in, in chapter 5, we've looked at what it means to rightly respond to sinning brothers and sisters in Christ, verses 1 and 2, and now we've been looking at what it means to rightly care for widows. One of the arresting thoughts that I've had over these last couple of weeks as I've been studying these texts, and in addition to that, as we've looked at as a leadership group in our preparation meetings, um, we've looked at James chapter 5. In James chapter 5, there's the ministry of elders to the body, particularly those who are sick. You, you remember those texts. If someone is sick and, and they would like for the elders of the church to come and, and pray over them and confess sin and so on. And, and it's interesting how some of these texts become obscure in our modern church culture. culture. And what I'm finding out as I continue to study the New Testament is many of the ministries that the New Testament clearly describes are central to the church are all but forgotten in the modern church. And so many of the ministry concepts that we see popular throughout our church, contemporary church culture, they're not in the Scriptures. And so th- there's a little bit of a shift that's happening in my mind, even as I study this, and say, and to say, if, if God takes the time to inspire clear instruction about a specific church ministry, boy, it's, it's a big deal. And that those descriptions should become the priority of ministry in the local body. And this care for widows seems to be one of those. A very important ministry in the life of the local church. And this text, <clears throat> I think, helps us to prioritize what Christ prioritizes in the church. I think of Matthew 16.18, where Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If Jesus is the church builder, then He gets to design what ministries are built up in His church. And we can follow exactly what Jesus taught even here in this letter. This text this morning helps us to align our ministry of priorities with Christ's. Now this section, I think, can be divided up, as we've said earlier, into two parts. Verses 3-8 through eight specifically talks about how to support widows who are truly widows, and we've looked at the definition of that. But then this next section that we're going to look at mostly today, verses 9-16, through 16, talks more about our behavior toward widows who serve in a unique way in the church. And I have to admit that this section it has been really more 
unfamiliar to me than even the previous section. And I think it's important before we go in to look at this more carefully that we understand how these two sections relate to one another. If you look in verse chapter chapter 5, verse 3, that's the main command. It says, honor widows who are truly widows. And that word honoring that you see there has certainly meant all the way through so far to financially support, to care for them, to make sure their needs are met, spiritual needs, physical needs. And of course, this text is described, what is that kind of widow that requires church support? But then look at, you get, you get to verse 9, and there's another command here that's a little bit different than the emphasis that you see in verses 3 through 8. Look at verse 9. It says, let a widow be enrolled. And you're kind of taken off by that. You're like, well, what does that mean? And it seems to have something different to do with the behavior or the care of widows than just the support for them. And what it appears to be throughout church history, and even as we consider it in this text, and I'll show you according to just this text, it seems to be that some of the widows who are supported by the church because they are truly alone, then can be enrolled into an official ministry to the ladies of that church. Let me show you in a sort of a chart form, if I can. All widows are to be cared for. This text makes that clear. All widows are to be cared for. Some of those widows will be cared for by family. right? That's the first priority we see in this text. If they have children and grandchildren, those children and grandchildren should care for that widow. Family beyond that, sometimes in the first century culture, that, that widow, if she was young enough in particular, would go back and be cared for by her father. Or maybe a brother, if her father had already passed away. So, Widows are to be supported. Now, according to this text, it's godly widows who are to be supported. right? And so, it's clearly taught then in verse 6, where, where the Apostle Paul says, she who is self-indulgent and dead even while she lives, that's not the kind of widow that the church is to support. So, that's why I have this here. Okay, we're not going to support that kind of a widow. But then, if there's no family to support her, then she comes into this large circle of widows called church-supported widows. And that seems to be regardless of her age. For example, uh, in verse 4, it says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness, that a there, a widow, is really any widow. And so it doesn't seem like verses 3 through 8 have any sort of age restriction. But... Of those church-supported widows, we have to ask the question, how long does the church support them? Indefinitely? Are they to be supported by the church, but without any accountability to the church for their daily activities? And that's where this next section begins to explain some more, where the 60 years of age and older widows can become, if they are godly and have these certain qualifications that Paul's going to talk about here, they can become service enlisted widows and become this powerful force of godly influence among the ladies of the church. It's, a, it's an amazing idea. This is absolutely new to me. I've never seen this done in a church, and I'm just wondering about the Scriptures, and I'm thinking here, I was like, why isn't this more common? Every commentary that I read, every sermon I listened to, there was no variation on this. But yet I've not seen this practice very much in a local church. I'm I'm excited and fascinated by this. However, those who are under that age, who are church-supported widows, the encouragement for Paul to them in this second section is not necessarily that they would be supported indefinitely by the church, but that they would seek the Lord to be remarried. That would be Paul's number one desire for them. So Paul explains how the church can enlist more mature widows to serve the local body in an important way and how younger widows should be married and serve their families for the honor of Christ. But all true widows must be honored so that Christ may be honored by all of us. That's the idea. I hope that makes sense. 
It seems to fit all the pieces of the text together well for me. Family-supported widows, if there's no family, the church must support them. If they are godly and not self-indulgent and spiritually dead, well, does the church support those widows indefinitely? Well, some of them can become service-enlisted widows, 60 years of age and older, and the younger ones should seek the Lord's will regarding to be remarried. Well, let's look at the text and then work our way through Paul's explanation of these things. So again, the main idea for today is honor widows who are truly widows, and in this case, by enrolling some for ministry to the body of Christ. By enrolling some for ministry to the body of Christ. Well, then we ask, what are the qualifications for being a widow enrolled for ministry? Number one this morning, and you can see this in your outline, she is to be mature. Verse 9, let a widow be enrolled. All right, that's our main command in this section. If, all right, so there's a qualification. If she is not less than 60 years of age. Only widows 60 years and older are to be enrolled, what Paul says. Okay, why? Just think about this, and the text shows this clearly. Well, first, just contextually and historically, 60, around 60, is the recognized age of maturity. I'm not sure that Paul is meaning to give a hard and fast rule like 60, no more, no less. I'm not sure of that, but certainly it wouldn't be wrong to take it exactly in a literal age, 60 years of age and over. But what, this is, what Paul is communicating here is that this is a suitable age for devotion to ministry in the body of Christ. Many of the reasons, and you'll see this as we go, many of the reasons for refusing a younger widow from the list would naturally be diminishing in a woman of 60 or older and therefore qualify her to this devoted service. And I underscore the word devoted. We're going to see exactly what that means in just a moment. But for a woman of 60 years of age and older, sexual desires for a husband are diminishing. Bearing children is no longer possible. Managing the household and care of a husband and children has diminished, right? Because her children are probably grown. And in this case, her husband is no longer living. So she has a freedom that she didn't have before, both internally and externally in her life. So a godly widow of 60 plus is that, that is supported by the church is an individual upon whom the Holy Spirit brings a special calling in the body of Christ. And again, I find this very fitting with the character of God. Because if, if you look across an audience nowadays, in our culture, in our understanding, in our, in, in, I should say, in the modern mindset of who would you pick out with the most potential for the work of church, you probably wouldn't pick the older widow. But God does. And He says, I still have plans for that, that daughter of mine. And this is just a fascinating thing. This older widow isn't supported by the church to live the rest of her life waiting to die, as it were. She is to fill her days with productive ministry in the body of Christ. Now, the kind of service that the godly, mature, church-supported, enrolled widow is called to do is a kind of ministry, truly, that every mature, godly woman is called to do in the body of Christ. That becomes clear in Titus 2. But the church-supported widow who is enrolled must be devoted to this kind of ministry. If she fits these qualifications, and she is of age, this this is the reasons for her being enrolled. She's to give her life to these things. And of course, this kind of ministry would be her delight and her habit already. That's what we'll see in the text as well. It's not that that Timothy would say to church-supported widows, all right, ladies, if you want to be on the list, start doing these kinds of things. That's backwards, right? He's looking at these ladies and recognizing which godly widows, which ladies who have these, these qualifications, they're already filling their time with these kinds of things. And, 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 and these activities are filling their lives, and so they're put on the list because this is their way of life already. 
And it appears from this text that, that this list is not only a commitment of a church-supported widow to certain ministry activities in the local church, but listen to this, and that's what we'll see, but that this is also a ministry commitment for the rest of her earthly life and a commitment to turn her back on being remarried for devotion to Christ in His church. And the nature of this enrollment that I have described will become more clear as we go. So the first part of understanding that she is to be mature is just what Paul says. She is to be not less than 60 years of age. But the second part of this that I want to bring to our attention is that Paul says that younger widows are to be refused this enrollment. And let's skip down here for a moment to verse 11. Paul says this clearly. But refuse to enroll younger widows. Very plain. And seems to be what he means is something less than 60 years of age. Why? Well, there's two reasons that Paul gives here. And again, I don't think these are hard and fast ages. I don't know the cutoff. I don't think that's Paul's point, but just that they would be evaluated for their character and, and their, their maturity. The first reason that Paul gives for saying refuse to enroll younger widows is that because that their passions for marriage would draw them away from their commitment to Christ that is required for this kind of ministry enrollment. The enrollment to ministry that, that Paul is talking about here for widows is a commitment to Christ which requires a refusal of remarriage. Let me show you. Look at verse 11. For, so but refuse to enroll younger widows. Why? For, or because, when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. You see? And so incur condemnation for having, look at this last phrase, very important, we'll start there, abandoned their former faith. Former faith. In the context of what's going on here, I don't, I don't think that Paul is referring to the fact that some younger widows will be married and then therefore somehow lose their salvation. That's not the idea here. Former faith could also be transited, I think rightly so, let's say like first pledge, right? or previous promise, solemn oath, earlier trust, Right? The word faith there has the concept of fidelity, trust, a promise, a commitment. And former, of course, before. And so, the commitment that Paul is talking about, which refers to the commitment necessary to be enrolled on this ministry, is that they would be committed to remain unmarried in order to minister in the local church. And so, in order for a younger widow to do that, she would have to commit not to be remarried. This is a, this is a serious commitment that Paul is talking about here. A first pledge, a pledge that, that would be violated if she would go back on that in order to be married. And so, the way that a supported and enrolled widow would abandon, right, that word there, abandon, or break this first pledge would be to go back on their commitment to Christ in order to be remarried because they have such strong passions and desires for the things of marriage. Verse 11b, right? For when their passions draw them away from Christ, away from their commitment to Christ, they desire to marry. Now here's the thing about this. There's nothing wrong with desiring marriage. Marriage is a wonderful thing that God made. And, and, and we'll see that later on with this text as well. But it would become wrong for the widow who has made this commitment to ministry. And to break this first pledge, Paul writes, would, notice, incur condemnation. This is a very serious commitment that Paul is calling these widows to. And it seems to be, when, when Paul says incur condemnation, it's, a little, it's, it's somewhat vague. We don't know exactly what he's talking about there. But it seems to be a decisive 
recognition of a wrong done that results in some sort of censure or discipline. Maybe, maybe Paul would encourage the church to begin the process of church discipline if a, if a widow who had made this commitment to ministry decided, I'm done with all that. I'm just going to go and be remarried. And no, you made this commitment to Christ to serve the body of Christ being supported by the church. It's, it's hard to say exactly what Paul means here. But either way, this would be a very serious breakage of commitment. And so Paul instructs Timothy to avoid this altogether by refusing to enroll younger widows. That's the point of this section. Refuse to enroll younger widows. And so younger widows will have strong desires for marriage, so they must not be enrolled to this commitment for ministry. And that includes this refusal of marriage. Now, the first, the first thing Paul does before we look at, or, or I should say, Paul's going to talk about the freedom that these younger widows have to remarry in just a moment. But before we look at that, um, I, he gives us a second reason for refusing younger widows for enrollment. Again, our first command here with reference to younger widows refuse to enroll younger widows. First, because of their desire for remarriage, but also, he says, beside that, there's a second reason. Paul says that their immaturity could potentially create problems that would disrupt the work of ministry. Verse 13, beside that, beside being drawn away from their first pledge, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. Right, that's, that's important to, to think about there in terms of what that widow might do for ministry. And not only idlers, but gossips, busybodies, saying what they should not. All right, apparently, the enrolled widow's ministry could take them into homes of the members of the church. Now, that's very interesting. And, and that makes sense because if there is an older woman who is mentoring younger women to, to fulfill the role of the woman, which he's going to talk about in a few verses here, in verses 14 and, and so on, um, it would require and be very beneficial for that widow to be in the home of that woman and help her at her side. But, Paul says, if this is a younger woman who is immature in these things, then, instead of being focused on the ministry tasks for which they were enrolled, her immaturity could give way to what Paul calls idleness. He says it twice here. Idlers. What is that? Well, the term idler means to leave off the tasks expected and fritter away time with whatever is immediately pleasing. Leave off the tasks to which you've been called and waste time with what seems to be spontaneously pleasing. In fact, there's a phrase there that says they learn to be idlers. It becomes a habit, becomes a practice that is developed and kind of begins to snowball and becomes an issue. And also gossips, Paul says, they, they can learn to be gossips. What's that? They they, they go from house to house looking like they're, they're doing the work of the ministry, but end up speaking silly, foolish, vain, empty things. That's what the word gossip there means. Speaking foolish, silly things. Empty words. And busybodies, Paul says. Busy with trifles. Superficial things. While neglectful of the important things. And Worse than that, busy about other people's affairs without being helpful, but only harmful. And consequently, Paul says, they go from house to house and they end up what? Saying things they shouldn't. Things that could cause division, disruption in the body of Christ. It's a really important responsibility when you go into the houses of other of members of the body and seek to minister. Right? It could be a great thing, but it could also be a dangerous thing. And that's what Paul's referring to here. Things that they could say things that break trust and bring bitter feelings to the people of God. So for such reason, again, Paul instructs Timothy, do not enroll younger widows 
for this ministry commitment. Refuse to enroll younger widows. Let the widows be enrolled if she's not less than 60. So then what are younger widows to do? If the older widows can serve the body of Christ effectively, what about these younger widows? Will will they need to be supported by their families or the church indefinitely without being able to minister as an enrolled widow? Well, no, Paul has an option for them that is more fitting and desirable for them. Here is Paul's wise advice to any young widow. Let us see. Younger widows are exhorted to remarry. All through the Scripture, the apostles and the prophets and Christ have a very, very high perspective of marriage. Look at what Paul says in verses 14 and 15. He said, I would have... That's a, that's a strong word. Paul said, I want this to happen. This is, this is my desire. This is my, I, I would require this. I want young widows to marry, to bear children, to manage their households, and so by doing that, give the adversary no occasion for slander. Our immediate responses to that might be a couple of things. One, you might think, well, that's not really in the power of the widow to do. She's just going to go get herself a husband, right? That sounds a little bit interesting to us. The other thing might be, well, and, I, and I, I am ashamed to even say this, in our culture, we look at those words and so many women would be offended simply by the calling to those things. Am I right? You mean, that's what, I'm, that's what, that's what my role is? Bear children, manage a household, get married, right? Oh my goodness, dear ones, listen to me. The Bible is God's Word. And our gracious, generous God is our Creator. And He is good. And He has crafted and beautifully designed man and woman for specific roles in His created universe that, that ex- explode His glory and expand His kingdom. And this is a high calling for a woman. Don't let the culture change your mind about the beautiful role that God has called women to do. This, There's no more vital and powerful role in the world to, to do all that God has designed us to do as His image bearers and, his, and, and to expand His reign in the world than what a woman is called to do. And so I think as we apply this in the young widow's life, she must even begin with prayer and seek God to support, to provide for her a husband. God, I have young children. I'm a widow. I have no one to care for me. She takes up the prayer of that godly widow back in verse, <clears throat> verse 5. She sets her hope on God. She, <coughs> she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. And she begins to ask God, to provide for her a husband so that she can take up this high calling of marriage and bringing up children and managing a godly household. Young widows may even enlist the help and guidance of their family and church leaders to guide them and help them in accepting a husband. And think about it this way. This is a text written to a church. And you know what? Many young men should consider it a godly pursuit to begin to court a young widow with children. What a a godly thing that is to provide and protect for that family. Young widows are to appropriately pursue the high calling of God for which He has designed women. This is highly honorable. It's as if Paul is saying to widows, these young widows, Fulfill your desires. Fulfill your desires to marry a godly man in Christ. One who will provide for you and protect you by the grace of God supplied to him. Fulfill your desires to bring up a generation of young people who know Christ. Who love truth. 
who are prepared to engage the world around them with a biblical worldview and are passionate to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Why do you think we even have children ultimately? Remember what God said in the very beginning when He blessed the man and woman? He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What's the next words? Have dominion. Extend my reign. Make disciples. You know, this is, this is what we do in the world. This is part of what God calls most of us to, is to, to have children and to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Why? To make disciples for Christ. To fill out the kingdom of God by His, His glory. Well, if that's the desire of this young widow, God bless her. Go for it. And may God provide. It's like Paul is saying, fulfill your desires to manage your household. Young widow, keep a home in which there are there is an atmosphere of faithfulness and the fear of the Lord and in which a Christian family can grow into what God has designed and called them to be by His grace. Paul doesn't, doesn't hold back with this. He gives strong encouragement to the widows in these things. You see, Paul celebrates and praises the high calling of God for women all throughout his pastoral epistles. Have you noticed that? We looked at 1 Timothy 2. This text, 1 Timothy 5, we're going to get to it in Titus 2. There is a clear and glorious calling that God has placed upon godly women. Absolutely essential to the advancement of Christ's church in God's sovereignty and by His grace. And as a young widow submits herself to Paul's instruction, she will, as it says here, give no occasion for for the adversary for slander. This is a very important phrase that I'm finding repeated throughout the pastoral epistles as well. Who's the adversary? Satan, right? That's, that's the interpretation of his name. The adversary. And so by our godly behavior in the body of Christ, and by God's grace, we give the okay, no occasion for slander to, to the evil one. If you look back, for just a moment, it's the same kind of phrase that we see in Titus chapter 2. Verse 3 says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so, train the young women This is a beautiful design in the body of Christ. The older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to teach them to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. Why? Paul gives the same reason. That the Word of God may not be reviled. See, here's the point of all of this. Why is it such a big deal that we as the body of Christ behave like God's family? Because we are the only entity in the world that speaks the Word of God and makes disciples. We're it. Is there any other organization in the world that does that? It's just the church. That's not the government's role. Right? That's That's not politicians' role. That's not medical workers' role. It's the work, it's the role of the church. God has called the church to speak His Word into the world and make disciples. Now, the church can do that through lots of different venues, right? Lots of different employments and lots of different opportunities. But this is the, one, this is the thing that, that only we are called to. And if our behavior contradicts our message, right? If our, if our way of life contradicts the message we speak, that is what gives occasion for the evil one to slander Christ and His church. That is what, what gives occasion for the world to slander the Word of God, to blaspheme the Word of God. And that's Paul's point here. So it is so important that the precious women of our church, whether a widow or not, recognize God's high calling upon their lives and give themselves wholly to it by His grace. And we begin to see more of a picture of this in this text. 
And so the reason the church is to honor true widows by supporting them is because we're called to live together in a way that protects and proclaims the truth of the Gospel. Just like verse 7 says. Command these things so that they may what? Be without reproach. Same idea. And for the same reason, the church is to enroll mature, true widows in the ministry in the church for its upbuilding. And for the same reason, the church is to refuse the enrollment of younger widows, but rather encourage them to be remarried. And that refusal to enroll younger widows will protect them from following the path, Paul says, of the adversary and saying things that they ought not to say. Notice what it says there. And give no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. It's interesting there that these instructions are important not because of what might have happened. Notice that? It's not just what might happen. But Paul says some have already. Some have already strayed after Satan. And so that's why this is so important. Some had already followed the path of the adversary by disloyal and disruptive behavior. And so this is an important warning for all of us as well today. The refusal to enroll younger women will protect them from following the path of the adversary who loves to slander the church and will protect them in their immaturity yet from behaving in such a way that the adversary has occasion for slandering Christ's church. Okay. So the first overall qualification for enrolling a church-supported widow for a life of committed ministry for Christ is that she must be mature. But what's secondly? What do you see here? Let's back up. <clears throat> says here, not less than 60 years of age, but then also having been the husband of one wife. She must have been faithful. That's the second, the second qualification here. This is the same grammatical instruction that is used to describe the faithfulness of an elder in chapter 3 and verse 2, and deacons, excuse me, in 3 and verse 12. <clears throat> Both elders and deacons, and, and we can look back there for just a moment. <clears throat> 3 and verse 2 says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, here it is, the husband of one wife. And then in verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. And now in chapter 5 and verse 9, it says having been the wife of one husband. It's, it's the same phrase, just switched around. The wife of one husband. So, if a church-supported widow is going to be enrolled for ministry to the church, then she must have been a one-man woman. That's literally what it means, right? A one-man woman. Or, in the case of the elder and deacon, a one-woman man. Now, I don't believe that, this, that the meaning of this phrase is that she has only ever had one husband in her entire life. Well, what do you mean then? What is it, what is it talking about? You see, think of it this way. Earlier in her life, she may have been a younger widow who followed Paul's instruction to be remarried. But now, her second husband has died and she is now a mature widow and desires to commit herself to the ministry of Christ in this way, by this enrollment. This widow has had two husbands. But both of these husbands she has had in God's will. And she's been faithful to each of them. Do you see the difference? So, I believe that's the meaning of this phrase. This woman has only ever been faithful to her husband. She is a, a one-man woman. The passions of her heart and body belong only to one man. By God's grace, she has always been that one-man woman. And, and this high and holy standard is what God calls every Christian woman to pursue. But the enrolled widow must have shown herself to have exemplified this standard. And again, that makes sense 
in this context because apparently she goes from house to house. Right? She, she won't be an idler. She'll be ministering as, for example, like we read already, Titus 2 says a woman should. She's going to be teaching what is good. She's going to be training the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be working at home, to be kind and submissive to their own husbands that the Word of God may not be reviled. She's a perfect fit for an on-site mentor, if you will, in the body of Christ for younger women to live according to God's will. And, and she would not be effective to train a younger woman to love her husband if she herself was not an example of what it means to be a one-man woman. So this is, again, an essential equality for the enrolled widow. Now, finally this morning, <clears throat> not only must she be mature, number one, second, faithful, number two, she must be, have been faithful, but then three, finally here, she must have a reputation for good works. Notice the rest of verse 10. And having a reputation for good works. Well, what good works? Notice that this is what Paul is delineating for us as the good works that she is to be known for. This really ought to encourage you ladies as well. She has done what? Brought up children. You mean that is a good work that God would call me and save me to do? Like Ephesians 2.10, good works planned before the foundation of the world? Yes, that's one of those. To bring up children. That is, an, that is a glorious ministry of the Gospel. Has shown hospitality? Has washed the feet of saints? What does that mean? Has cared for the afflicted? And again, capping off on the other side, has devoted herself to every good work. Well, let's look at what these things mean for just a few moments. Notice, first of all, that a true widow will be enrolled for a commitment to Christ for ministry, she will be, in essence, going on doing formerly what she has already given her life to do willingly. This is going to be her life. She's going to be training other women with this as well. She is a woman who has an ongoing reputation for good works. Notice it says that, a, a reputation. She's known for this. It is a woman who has given herself in delightful duty to the, to the mindset and active life of ministry for the sake of Christ and the advancement of His church. <clears throat> she understands that living to serve Christ and others for the sake of the Gospel is to live life to the fullest. That's what she's all about. And she desires to use her years of widowhood and her years of maturity not to indulge herself and sit on the shelf, but to spend her best years, her years which are most full of wisdom and full of gentleness and humility and love of Christ in service to Christ and His church. I am continually amazed and my eyes continue to be opened the more time I spend around godly older people. They can say in a few wise gentle, humble words what a younger person takes all kinds of words. You know what I mean? And you're not sure what they said at the end of it. That's what I'm beginning to understand more of. These are the best years to minister. You have maturity and wisdom and experience and, and brokenness and suffering and, and dependence on Christ on your side in ways that a younger person doesn't have yet. And so Paul gives examples of the kinds of good works that have filled this widow's life and certainly the kinds of good works that she will go right on doing or that she will teach other women in the church to do as long as the Lord enables her. And so it says here she's brought up children. It's, very, it's quite simple. She, she has nurtured and cared for children, both physically and spiritually. That's been her life. Now her children may have been from her own womb or orphans that she took into her home. This is a wonderful part of this context is that often the women of the church would take in abandoned orphan children because in, in, in Paul's day, in the context of Paul, uh, there would be lots of orphan children who would be taken in by the, the religious system of the worship of the goddess Diana. And they would be either turned into slaves or child prostitutes. 
And so the Christian women of the church would take these children in and raise them as their own. This widow would have a reputation for her skillful and loving nurturing of children. Letter B, she's shown hospitality. This means that she has welcomed strangers into her home and cared for them. Sometimes a persecuted Christian running for their lives, as it were, would find a refuge in her home. And sometimes for longer periods of time than what she would expect. And yet, she would show hospitality. Sometimes a Christian teacher, like the Apostle Paul, would travel from city to city, and so they'd need a place to stay. And she would welcome that such person into her home and care for them. This widow delighted to have people in her home to minister the love of Christ to them. This widow would have a reputation for her generous and warm hospitality to others. Thirdly, she washed the feet of saints. <clears throat> when, a, when a guest was received into a home, their feet were washed. And it didn't matter the weather outside because in the first century street, you'd wear, you know, you're wearing sandals and you'd come in, your feet would either be dusty or muddy, right? whether it was rainy or dry. And so the task of cleaning the feet of guests was the job of the lowest servant in the household. Foot washing was the duty of a bond slave. And of course, this is why Jesus took up the task at His last supper. Remember? In John 13 with His disciples. Jesus washed His disciples' feet. He was caring for His disciples with the humble, sacrificial love that was to define Christian behavior and set them apart from the world. And Jesus commanded His disciples to do for one another what He did for them at that Last Supper. And so this widow, according to Paul here, was taking Jesus' command seriously. She was living to serve others with humble, self-sacrificing love. She had lived her life humbly and sacrificially and lovingly serving the saints. The saints are the people of God. Those who are set apart, children of God, the church. And this widow would have a reputation for her humble, sacrificial, loving service. Nothing, nothing was below her to do as long as it was God's will for her. Fourthly, she cared for the afflicted. See that in the next phrase. Cared for the afflicted. Paul also focuses on this. This means that she willingly met the needs of people under the pressure of any kind of distress. That's what that word means. That word affliction refers to pressure. The suffering that comes from pressure and of hardship. If, if they were sick, she visited them and nursed them. If they were hungry, she fed them. If they were in prison, she visited them. If they were in grief, she comforted them. If they were persecuted, she shielded them by taking them into her own home. These are the kinds of ways that she would care for the afflicted. She cared for the afflicted as if she was caring for Christ Himself and has a reputation for that. And then finally, it's summarized, her qualifications are summarized by simply saying she has devoted herself to every good work. In other words, it doesn't matter what task of service she was called upon to do for Christ and His people. If she could do it, she was willing. And she did it with devotion. She was passionate and faithful about what God had planned and prepared for her to do. Ephesians 2.10 For the good of Christ's people. For the glory of Christ. For the advancement of the Gospel. No, she wasn't perfect, but this is what her life was described by. However many flaws were, were scattered throughout her life, this is what characterized her. And so Paul commands the church to enroll such a supported widow for official ministry in the body of Christ. And form a team. Can you imagine this? This is fantastic. Form a team of supported widows who would go from house to house doing, doing just what they had done throughout their lives and teaching other women to do what they had done. Just like Titus 2, 3-5 indicates. What a, what a powerful ministry concept. Isn't it? Think about it. I don't even know where to begin with this. But what a fantastic concept. Something that we really need to keep on our hearts and ask God to teach us how to do this, when to do this, according to His will. 
God knows what He's doing. And there's nothing more effective in the ministries of a local church than a team of supported and serving widows who are ministering and discipling other women like this. I don't know that we have any true widows yet that we are supporting, but maybe God will give us one someday. Or two or three. We'll see what he has in mind and see how God blesses the ministry of his church through them. Now, in closing this morning, let's try to bring this all together and apply it to our own lives and our local church for just a few moments. Verse 16 is a summary. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Summarizing the whole thing. We need to honor widows in this way who are truly widows, who are alone. And so, here's what we need to think through. We can take responsibility to make sure the widows, all the widows are provided for, either through family, right? That's what Paul is calling us to, through family. Children, grandchildren, other family. If not them, to the church, as long as they're godly, hopeful, and prayerful, he says. Younger widows who are supported, we encourage toward marriage, to bear children, to manage a home. Mature widows, we enroll them for official ministry if they are mature, faithful, have a reputation for being devoted to good works. Widows, no matter how you slice it in this text, are not to be cast off, but honored and cared for. And God will use them to build up His church for His glory, either through a home or through the ministry of the body of Christ. So no, so, so now we know. Think about this. Now we know. We know what we should do should God bring us a true widow. We, we, and we have learned to recognize them from this text, and we've learned how to care for them. But what if we don't have a true widow yet in our context, in our assembly? And I think there are some principles and practices still that, that this text, the care of widows, that, that are very important for us to take to heart. So regarding the care of widows, I think that, that God would have us to, even first of all, even if we don't have any true widows as this text describes, just identify the widows that we have. And then pay attention to their needs. Watch over them as a church. Ask if they have needs. Involve family as necessary. Think about this. Maybe plan to encourage them in their loneliness by greeting them, fellowshipping with them, inviting them into our homes, even listening to them talk about those they love and miss and comfort them with the promises of Christ. Pray for them regularly by name and by need. Prepare spiritually and materially to meet any needs that we ought to and prepare even financially to support any true widows that the Lord brings to us. But then let's think about how this text applies to just generally the the role and ministry of women as a whole in the body of Christ. I think God would have us to first of all give thanks for the women that are part of our membership that have a reputation like the widows described in this text. Isn't that a blessing? I hope God fills our church with women like this because it will make a massive impact upon our children for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So incredibly powerful. Let them minister to other women. Let them pray. Let them share. And bring up children. Let God, let's watch God use them in the lives of other women and children. Pray for their ministry. Do you, do you pray for our women? Do you pray for the ministry of our women to children and to other women? Younger women, call upon the more mature women in our assembly who have lived like this and let them minister to you. God will use them in your life. I want to encourage you. Younger women, think about this. The body of Christ is a context in which the gospel is the atmosphere. And even at our worst, we are accepted in Christ. I hope you'll follow my thought here, please. The the atmosphere of the body of Christ is not to be an atmosphere of judgmental condemnation. 
but an atmosphere of acceptance and love and grace because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so that means you have a freedom to welcome an older woman into your heart who is godly, who fits the description of these texts. You look at this text, you look at Titus 2 and you say, which women are like this? And invite them into your life and, and, and show your baggage to them. And let them help you. Now that, what a great freedom we have in that. Every, everyone needs someone to disciple them. Everyone does. That's what God calls the church to be to one another. All of us need that. This is a powerful call to all women then to live their lives <clears throat> in devoted to the good works for the sake of Christ. Take this text. Take the text of Titus of Titus 2. Let the text of 1 Timothy 2 and, and, and take these texts. 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 5, Titus 2. And ask God to make you a woman of God like this and in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from the throne of the risen and ascended Christ, seek to follow Him in the footsteps of such women. This is God's call to us. There's, there's so much about, about the life of a godly man in the body of Christ, and maybe that gets most of the emphasis sometimes. But don't forget these texts that define the life of a godly woman. This is our goal. This is our role. And, and God will do a holy work in and through your life for the building up of His church and the advancement of His kingdom for His glory. This is a vital aspect of how God uses godly women to buttress and pillar the truth in this dark, lie-infested world. This is essential. This is vital to us. And think about this text. Ephesians 3, 20-21. This is what he told. This is what Paul told this very church. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God can do in and through you above and beyond anything you could ask or think. May he do it. One more question before we pray today. We've been talking a lot about the family of God. Are you part of the family of God today? Are you part of His church? His household. Are you a child of God? Do you know that? Let me remind you of a verse. John 1, 12-13 says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God even those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh, but of God. Think about that for a minute, will you? Given the right to become children of God. Do you have, have you been given that right? To become a child of God? We're not born with that right, right? <laughs> we're not born with that. We're born, John tells us, children of the devil with desires to do His will. That's what we're born with. But then, through the new birth, through God's gracious work, we can gain the right of becoming children of God. Well, how do you know if you're born again? Let me ask you this. Have you turned from your sin and from your self-righteousness to receive Christ, all that He is and has done, and rest in Him alone for salvation? If you can say yes to that and really be true about that, then you have been born of God and you've been given the right to be called children of God. If that's not your case, I encourage you today to draw someone to yourself who knows the Scriptures and ask them, please show me from God's Word through the Gospel, how I can become a child of God. There's nothing more important than that. And then you as well can rejoice in being a member of God's family. Boy, I want that for you. Let's stand together and pray this morning. <clears throat> Father, we, we are amazed and, and encouraged to see 
your plan so very specifically outlined for ministry in the body of Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would enable us to honor true widows and to care for them as you would have us to. And Father, please continue to exalt before our eyes the role and ministry and good works of both men and women in your kingdom. Father, the evil one and the world system is doing everything they can to destroy the image of God in man. And by undermining and redefining our identity and our role. Father, please forgive us for buying into so much of it. Deliver us and restore us. Thank you for the work, the saving work of Jesus Christ. And Father, continue to work in us and and help us to see the truth of the Scriptures as it describes for us your design and our creation and what you have called us to do and be for your kingdom, by your strength, and for your glory. And Father, we can even see it as we we understand the role that you've called widows to in the body of Christ. May we be faithful to these words by your strength. Help us to recognize what your hand is doing among us and to respond according to your Spirit and His leading. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.